There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast. Uh, it's Friday, and I'm taping my comedy special. It's February 17th. In just a few hours, um, I'm not shitting my pants as much as I thought. I mean, maybe just a little leaked out, but it's nothing more than normal that should be alarming in any way. Uh, but I'm super excited. So let me just get to these announcements really, uh, really quickly, and then I'll uh, let you listen to the Wilco Podcast, and I'm going to go tell jokes to a theater full of strangers. All right, um... If you didn't know, we have matched up with Geek Chic Daily, which was an awesome daily email newsletter. So now we have Nerdist News, which you can get daily in your inbox. And it actually doesn't suck. I promise. It's good stuff that is relevant to your interests. You can also follow us at Nerdist News on Twitter uh, and get tons of stuff that, uh, that, that you will enjoy daily. Also, I would like to thank, as a brand new sponsor to the Nerdist Podcast, Squarespace.com, which is the super fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. If you've been thinking about starting a website, now is the time. There's no more excuses. It could not be simpler. Squarespace has an easy-to-use UI. Uh, you can create, manage your website, blog. It is optimized both for beginners. Uh, if you're an expert at CSS, doesn't matter. Any skill level, they totally have you covered. There's hundreds of design templates to choose from. You can customize any of the designs to fit your needs. They have 13 new template redesigns with 85 style options and two completely brand new templates. Also, there's uh, iPad, iPhone, Android apps if you want to update your blog on the go. And they've also added Google's complete web font library, which is over 300 fonts that are now fully integrated. And they have support. They have support team 24-7. You can get support with Squarespace. I mean, honestly, there are no more excuses. Start your website today. Use squarespace.com. Sign up for a free account. There's no credit card needed. You try it out. You start building your website. Then if you decide to purchase, use your offer code NERDIST and you get 15% off for six months. That's squarespace.com. Use the offer code NERDIST. And now this episode, um, this is episode 169, this is Wilco, so uh, Jonah Ray and I took our good friend Will Wheaton, who was the Matt Myra of this day, Matt, uh, Matt was working on Attack of the Show, and Will was initially the, the person who would turn me on to Wilco years and years ago, so I called him up and I was like, hey Will, and he's like, hey Chris, and I'm like, hey Will, do you want to come uh, podcast Wilco with us, Will, co, uh, and he was like, fucking shit, uh, he was really excited, that was Will being really excited. So he, uh, he came along with us, uh, we, we sat down with Jeff Tweedy for about an hour, and Jeff was awesome. So we had a really great talk, and they let us stick around and record uh, some of the sound checks. So you'll actually get some <laughs> never-before-heard performances at the end of the podcast, which are from the sound check. So if, it, you, know, if you hear, like, noodling around and then a song, that's because it's a sound check. And it was, it was literally just, the, it was just like the three of us sitting in the Wiltern Theater watching, like, a private show of Wilco. I couldn't, we, 
Will and I just kept looking at each other and like, how the fuck did this happen? How did we get here? Uh, but not too loudly because we didn't want to disturb the band. So thanks again to Wilco and to their management and PR people who, who made this all super fun and seamless. And uh, now we deliver the goods to you, the Nerdist Podcast, episode number 169, Wilco. Wilco. Wilco will love you, baby. Now entering Nerdist.com. I can buddy up with you if you want. This is really going to work best if Jonah sits on your lap. Is that awkward for you? I think this is good. I think we should maintain an adversarial. What a diva. Everyone cross your arms and maintain a defensive body posture. We can all point guns at each other like the end of Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, exactly. But who's pointing the last gun at whom? Mexican standoff. Yeah, full on. All right, they say uh, they they say Steve Buscemi's character gets killed by the cops outside. Oh, that's how he I dies. I like I like to think that he gets away. All right, well we'll we'll keep that in our hearts. Jeff Tweedy, thank you for being here. Thanks for having in me in your own dressing room. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm. Yeah, I don't have any other choice. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Listen, you'll get your family I told back. You it as soon would as work out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm Chris. This is Jonah. Hey, Jonah. Um, this Hi, is Chris. Will. Hey, Will. Hi. Uh, how's it going? Are you guys are you all set up? Do you have any more rehearsal or like sound check? Are you done? Are you just oh, time? we have sound check. Oh, you still haven't you haven't sound checked yet? Mm-mm. How how do you like the Wiltern? Uh, we've played here a fair amount, and it's always been really nice. I think that you know we've always had good shows here. We we came back, they had us back, so I think all all is well. That's great venue. I'm expecting it to sound better than the Palladium. Oh yeah, the Palladium yeah, was the Palladium. The, why man. do people go to the Palladium? It's the worst sound in the world. I think we we did pretty well last night, but it was not. And it's never going to be a pristine kind of show. It just it, it really depends where you stand in that place mm-hmm. too. It's a, I, when I saw the Pixies there, I was like I was I was like man, this fucking blows. And then I kind of weaseled my way into the very middle center, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, this is fine. Stan yeah. Stan, our sound guy, got a lot of really nice compliments from a lot of people. So I think he did a good job and people seem to have a good time but yeah we played a set that catered to the broad stroke you know <laughs> uh, characteristics of the room uh, it is a weird play play is one of those rooms that like that LA will not let die. Like it's died yeah. numerous times. Then someone's like, "We're gonna fucking save you, Palladium," and, and then they kind of do it. It's it really just that too. It's just a huge fucking room. Yeah. Just, yeah. Aragon and Chicago, sort of the same thing. You know, there's a big, big, old dance hall that sounds like ass. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they just can't let it go. What was yeah. the? Was it just about the the getting the venue space to break up the shows between the Palladium one night and the Wiltern the next night? Um, I think if we're going to do multiple nights in a city, which is nice to do instead of doing one big show, uh, it was a way to make the, the shows feel different and create sets that felt you know, more catered to specific places and rooms than just showing back up at the same place every night. And, and I don't know. We've done that, too, and that, that, that can be fun, but 
it's just a way to kind of make it, I don't know, a little fresher for us on a night to night basis and to make our crew really, really earn their money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, see you at that venue across town yeah. in yeah. 12 hours. Have fun schlepping all of our equipment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you, do you do like the bus thing or do you fly around? Oh, I don't fly around. No. no. We have a bus. Yeah. I've always wanted to do a tour bus. But I just we just we're just stand up comics an, and it's like it's, it's hard to justify. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's really not that it you that can't be exciting. claustrophobic if you want to go to sleep. Well, yeah, I mean we have two buses now, which is a lot nicer than when we used to have everybody on one bus, you know, so the crew's on one bus and the band's on a bus and um, luckily we all get along pretty well. But when we tour in Europe we have a double decker bus and everybody's nineteen people on one bus. Oh Jesus. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because we're cheap. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's. A, I always, I always marvel at the idea of. I mean, I feel like we're sort of spoiled as, you know, we're spoiled as comedians because you go to a venue and it's like, well, sound check is you just tapping the mic right, and going, exactly. balls, vaginas, okay, we're good. Yeah, exactly. But you, know, you guys have to tour a crew and a band. I don't even know how a band makes money with ex- as as expensive as it is to tour. It's you have to stay on the road to make money. Yeah. I mean, you have to string a bunch of shows together to cover the overhead, and then, then you start to make money. So it's yeah, we have a way harder than you. Know. <laughs> <It's so much laughs> harder. I tour with a small, uh, a small sort of like nerd vaudeville show called Woodstock, and uh, the most depressing thing in the world is after we've had like just a phenomenal show, we've sold out, and it's you know we've we've been doing merch for three hours after the show, you know, after the show is done. Audience loved it, we loved it, and then we get home and figure out like what everybody kind of takes away from the show, and you're like, a hundred dollars! Maybe I should go solo. <laughs> but yeah, but that's, but that's not why you do it. No, 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 no. No, but you just don't want to, you also don't want to go, you know, you want to be able to not go broke yeah. at, at the same time. I, don't, I mean, I feel very, very fortunate that we're able to take care of a lot of people and employ people and have you know things still work out in our favor most of the time have you had the same crew pretty much for or do you just sort of go on a tour tour basis no no we we have a consistent you know uh, familial type relationship with a lot of people and and you know people kind of cycle out sometimes they if we have a down period people jump on another tour or something occasionally but for the most part we don't have like the pure road dog butt pack wearing Zildjian t-shirts fingerless gloves that did start out that way exactly we always just... on a smoke break <laughs> Hey, how's it going? Hi, I'm Deb. Oh, you're there. Hey, Deb. <laughs> I didn't know you were started. Okay. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Special guest, Deb. <laughs> That's all right. Um, so, what are you, you guys are in your this is your 18th year as Wilco? Um, yeah. It's, has it is it is it any easier now, or is it? I don't know. It's a lot easier now. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Um, I mean, that's those are always tough questions because. I mean, what were you doing 18 years ago? Is your life easier now than it was 18 years ago? Yeah, actually, it is, and yeah. I think that's only because I, I'm older and I, I don't I I don't worry about the same things exactly. I did when I was younger. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you don't know what to give a shit about when you're, whatever. 
in your 20s. I think when you're older, you know what to care about. Yeah. Uh, it's just easier to know what, what actually makes a difference. It's easier to know that one show isn't going to destroy your life, you know. Um, and that's kind of liberating. Yeah. You don't miss agonizing over the breakdown of every show. Like, like, like it's, I used to do that. I would, it was like, it was like watching game tapes mm-hmm. and I always felt like, um, the guy in best of times. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. You know, just watching me miss that catch over and over and over <laughs> again and just obsessing about it. Yeah. No, I, I don't think we never really did that that much, but it, I was actually being stressed out about the things that you don't have any control over, yeah. you know, like. How's the audience gonna react? Or they have a certain amount of control over it, but not entirely. So, you know, like you start to think you can will um, a certain reaction, and like I don't think now is it's much easier to just go with, you know, what what the experience is actually gonna be like. I don't know, kind of open to it. Do you spend any time at all on the internet, or do you avoid the internet all year? Um, I I think it's really fascinating. I do look at stuff that people write and and and, and reviews and things like that because I just think it's a fucking fascinating thing. <laughs> I feel very detached from it. I don't feel like it has much to do with me at all. But I find the the psychology of the people doing it really really interesting. You know, it's like a self empowerment kind of thing and. Yeah. And like so just how negative voices are so amplified over positive voices, and certain forums are more you know despicable than other ones because they're more anonymous, or you know like just all the different inner workings of it. And rock criticism itself is like it's very threatened right now. It's behave it's behaving yeah. very threatened. Oh, really? How so? Well, they're not they're they're useless. Because everyone is a critic. Everybody yeah. can hear everything. Right. Yeah. So the only people that can really, they can depend upon to to need their opinion are people that are very, very insecure. Yeah. And and I think they're very insecure to begin with. So, so. And I guess at a certain point you realize, like, it kind of doesn't really matter what gets said about you. Like, people who like your stuff are going to find you. They're going to come out. Oh, I mean, it's... Like, Honestly, the opposite is the is way worse. You know that nobody's talking about your band or caring enough to weigh in. I mean, that was a big realization. At some point, I realized that Wilco wasn't a band that nobody had ever heard of anymore. Right. There's we were a band that some pe- that most people had heard of, or not most, but I think almost most. You know, yeah. like it's a lot of people have heard of us that felt compelled to weigh in on something all of a sudden that. I would never have expected them to like or care about or, you know. Yeah, 94 was an interesting time to, to st- I mean, I know you had bands mm-hmm. before that. Do you have any of the old recordings of, like, the plebes or any of that stuff? Do you have any? Oh, no, I wasn't in the plebes. Uh, Jay Farrar was, I mean, I I think there's stuff around, but not really. No. Do you have stuff from, like, when you were in high school that you still, that you like, is there anything that you just have in a time capsule that someday you're going to release? No, I mean, I'm sure I do, but I'm not much of an archivist. I don't know. I mean, my, my mom was... Uh, so I probably inherited, or after when she passed away, I think I probably got a big box of stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So, but I haven't like gone through it. My mom brings me, uh, like every few months, boxes. I was on Star Trek when I was a teenager, and my mom brings me these 
huge boxes of next generation things. Uh-huh. And, and, and she's like, you threw this away, but I kept it for you. And uh-huh. it's like... So your mom was a, like a dumpster diver? It's and, weird, yeah. yeah. Well, she says, because I thought you probably would want this someday. Right. And it's, uh, it's scripts and call sheets and pictures and things. And mm-hmm. um, I hate to admit that my mom is right about anything, but she's totally right. It's mm-hmm. great yeah. to have that stuff. And I've sort of consolidated it down into one, you know, one yeah. box my parents over, is, uh, over all the years. My parents' garage flooded, and um, all my stuff, all the boxes out of my stuff, and they're all on the bottom of everyone else's stuff. So everything from my childhood got waterlogged and ruined. Typical Jonah Ray experience. Right? Our, uh, our younger son... <laughs> Uh, we had all of his stuff, all those great things your kids make you from school. Right. And they were in the garage, and rats chewed through a box and made a nest out of all of Nolan's things. Oh. And, we, and it's all gone. We don't have any of it. Did you tell him if you were a better kid, then that wouldn't have happened? Did you save the rat's nest and say, here? Yes. <laughs> My wife wanted to throw all of it away, and I actually pulled out some things and uh-huh. sort of like cut away the edge of it because I said, you know, like. It's better for the kid. That's year zero. They say yeah. to just start yeah. from yeah. scratch. Yeah, you know? I think so. Plus, I'm, it's like the rats got more use out of it than you would have ever done. Right. That, you know? It's just. Everybody lives on their own little private landfill. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> so true. <laughs> so, you, so in '94, I think '94 is an interesting time to start because that's kind of that's sort of the beginning of the end for the traditional music uh, model. I think. Mm. When did you kind of start to realize, like, oh, those crazy like multi-million-dollar record deals are going away, and all that? well, um. I don't. I don't know if I ever really uh, aspired to that or thought that it was in the cards for us. I was. We were like um, more. Uh, I think we we emulated the business model of ind- independent rock bands touring in vans more, yeah. and thought that it'd be fantastic if you know. Touch and Go or, or SST or somebody gave us a deal someday and we ended up, you know, Uncle Tupelo had an independent record deal and, and when we did a deal with Warner Brothers uh, and Uncle Tupelo, it was one of the, you know, it's like a s- starter record deal. <laughs> it wasn't like a, you know, we really think you guys are going to be a sensation kind of record deal. It's more like yeah, we'll see what happens with these guys. So I never really had anything like that waved in in front of me, and uh, so I never really care cared when they started going away. <laughs> when, you, when you when you guys got signed by a big label, did you feel like this is a moment where you know like we've crossed we've 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 leveled up and now we're we're going, or do you feel like you're constantly auditioning for the label to get label support? Uh, well. Um, I think I've always been a little bit deluded and maybe had a certain certain amount of uh, uh, sense of well-being innately, you mm-hmm. know, that I don't think we really cared about that. I was, uh, we've either manufactured small goals to feel like we've achieved or really aspired to things that were within our grasp for most of our career. I really believe that. I just think, well, wow, well, last time we were in L.A., we played somewhere and it was a hundred less people came you know yeah. and I was like wow that's amazing a hundred more people came and we're still doing it and it's you know two years later and we st- all our records are still in print and um, I don't I'm not saying that just to sound humble I just honestly I'd never thought about it in any other t- 
way except for like a long haul kind of thing. This is this is what I want to do. I don't. I never really thought that it was, it was something. I don't ever thought you picked a job that was going to have a big payoff like the lottery, and then you were done. You like you made it. You fit. You fi- figured it out. You win. Um, but I know people definitely think that way. You know? Well, I guess even if someone just said, okay, Jeff, uh, with uh, because of your commitment to Wilco, here's a billion dollars. It's not like you're going to stop yeah. playing music. And right. Stop. Well, I think that actually happens to a lot of bands. It, I mean, not a billion dollars, but a lot of money can really disincentivize people over time. Like the, the individual members of the bands can't always all be on the same... Uh, wavelength in terms of commitment to it or like desire to do it and when you take the the uh, existential need to to take care of your family yeah. out of the equation I think it's hard for people I think it's I think you I think it's good to work I think it's good to have a job that you feel like you need to do and and uh, and I don't think it's counter intuitive for that to be a creative pursuit either. You know? Do you think comfort kind of ruins creativity in a certain sense? Because if you're not as you don't have that sort of hunger drive like, oh fuck, I've got to get out there and make this work. Well, no, I mean yes and no. I think that there's, uh, I think it's good for you to live your life and experience things that people experience, uh, like uh, financial anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's good. But as far as being comfortable, uh, I don't have any problem. I don't believe in, in, in tortured artist myths at all. You know, I, I think that people create in spite of all the suffering that everybody goes through, and and those myths have always been really damaging more than anything. Yeah, yeah. I find people who are tremendously successful, like who I mean, I, I've you know, I have friends who are comedians who. I've seen them when they were not successful comedians and then tipping over and becoming about as successful as you could become. And there are some that when they had the the anxiety before about money and success, then they got that and the anxiety just transferred over to something else and you're like, Oh, you just you're just anxious. Like, yeah, you, like that's, that's inside you somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I worry about that because I'm I you know I've I've always had like anxiety, depression, <laughs> panic oh, right. attack issues, and so. You all, you kind of in your mind, you go, "Oh, this material thing is going to fix all that," and you're like, "It's not fixing that. No, it's no. worse now." <laughs> no. Well, yeah, I mean, comedians are way worse than than musicians, I think, for for that stuff. It's like such a solitary pursuit that um, you don't have a lot of. Uh, uh, there's not a lot of places to hide. Yeah. If yeah. you're up there by yourself with a microphone, so. Those anxieties probably are pretty, pretty easy to stay in touch with, regardless of your financial situation. Are you any kind of comedy? <laughs> <laughs> you but, can't run from yourself. Yeah, you know, I mean, but I, I think that. Uh, well, I mean, I get it all the time because I've had fairly well publicized bout with addiction and anxiety disorder and all these other things, and people are you know, like, "Oh, you're healthy now. Um, how do you write?" Yeah, you know, like what is? Well, how has it changed? And it's like the part of me that wanted to make shit was there when I was six years old, um, yeah. and it still does. And if anything, I suffer more now because I don't get to take drugs. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like my suffering is my problem now. You know? I try to explain to like people who are not dr- non-creative people mm-hmm. that it. 
I don't understand why we're creative. It's just a thing that makes us. Mm-hmm. It's the, the best way I can describe it is if I'm not making a thing, mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like I'm just, I, I may as well not be breathing mm-hmm. or, 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 you know, it's like I need it the way like a normal person needs to eat. Mm-hmm. I've got to create a thing all, all the time. Yeah. And I think it's a thing that we all share. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, like anxiety seems to be part of that. Yeah. It's a it's a consolation, you know. It's for people that don't really have uh, spirituality or religion in their lives, which most comedians don't. <laughs> most, <laughs> most musicians, I don't know. It's it's, just, it's a spiritual thing in a way because it puts you making something that wasn't there when you woke up in the morning makes you closer to the idea of God or creating yeah. or something. And that when you go a day or two without really writing anything down or playing anything or going up and doing anything within the, the art that you like, it's mm-hmm. like, they feel like shit at the end of the day. Yeah, except yeah. I don't feel like shit anymore because I've come to figure out, I, I, at least I believe that um, that you're beating yourself up for something that your ego is really worried about, but it isn't part of who you are. You're working when you're... When you don't think you're working, wow! I really feel like I can't. Thanks, Jeff Tweedy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really believe that. I don't. No, no, think, that I think your subconscious is yeah. obviously the part that you're trying to get to all the time. So why do you think that you can consciously, you know, steer it in any direction? Except I think all you can do is get better at getting into it and getting out unscathed. It almost yeah. feels like one of those weird, like mythological stories where where someone said. I'm going to give you unlimited creativity, but I'm going to put your ego in the way of it so it only ekes out in little spurts. It's, that's exactly, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, and that's one of the reasons people think their experience with drugs has eliminated that editor or that ego, that observing ego in a way that, that, that people associate it with creativity. But yeah. it's, it's, I mean, obviously there's ways to do that without drugs and uh, I think you have to sacrifice a lot, but... Yeah, no, I, I went, I mean, I don't, I, I, when I gave up the booze many years ago, I did have that, like, what if I never write anything again? And for me, it was the opposite experience of like, oh my God, I, like, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not in this weird haze all the time. Mm-hmm. I can actually think clearly. So I found it to be the opposite. Yeah, I found it to be like amazing. I look at it like when you're, um, when you're looking for your keys you're really, really, really looking hard and thinking about where your keys are and, and you have no idea. And then you stop thinking and your hand just goes behind the couch and finds the keys. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's awesome. Don't you know yeah, I know exactly that happens all the time. I feel like creating is the exact same thing. If you look squarely at it and you're like, I'm creating now. I am making something. <laughs> and, and you don't surrender to just the process of whatever it is that you're doing, the task at hand. I just don't, I don't know. I don't know how you stay present and actually create. I think there's something maybe to be said for like if you, you know, if you do have a, an addiction problem, whatever it is, and then you st- and then you stop. I almost feel like there is a, there is a huge well of creativity right there because you're when you stop kind of stifling that stuff with chemicals, you start having to deal with emotions in a way that you never did before. And I feel like there's a lot to write about or create just just from that. Well, yeah, I mean. Uh, uh, like a lot of addiction issues are obviously fear-based, so confronting those fears, I think, makes for much, uh, much more powerful. I mean, at least from your own perspective. I don't know how what the other wor- parts of the world or what how the other 
you know, how people perceive it, but for yourself, I think it's much more important to, con to confront those fears. Do you remember what your first show was like when you were totally sober? Like, do you remember what the experience felt like? Was it different than before? Um, well, I didn't like playing very much uh, high to begin with, so oh, okay. I tried to manage my meds in ways that I didn't feel particularly high ever, yeah. to be honest. I wanted to feel normal. Oh, gotcha. You know? okay. um, and it was difficult to do that. Um, and certainly a played show is high, thinking I was normal, but my, that wasn't the goal. I was never in, in pursuit of some oblivion, you know, the debauched, kind of romanticized idea. That it was. Right. I really thought I wanted, I just wanted to have energy to do the shit I wanted to do and not feel terrible. And, and it just escalated for many, yeah, so many there was, years. So there was no Jim Morrison syndrome? No. Can we just admit that Jim Morrison was a dick? When can we admit that Jim Morrison he was, was not a... Yet. Nope, not yet. Come on. He was a drunk with a notebook. He was just like nope. a frat guy in leather pants. You, you, you can't do bad this. Poetry. You can do it. Okay, okay. All right, fine. Sure. I have it on the calendar. He, he revolutionized wearing your girlfriend's clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Andy Rock came for years um, would thank him for such things. I just feel like Jim Morrison would have been that guy in your like English or theater class and you're like, can you believe what this fucking guy says? And all the girls are like, he's amazing. That's the guy in uh, the Woody Allen movie that says, put your foot on my heart. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. Well, did you ever hear that, that there was that uh, audio of, uh, it was like Jimi Hendrix playing at the Troubadour and uh, Jim Morrison's there just fucking wasted and he gets on stage. He's like, put it in her ass. Fuck that pussy, yeah! And then you hear Jimmy Hendrix going, Oh, come on now, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> when Hendrix has to be the guy to settle someone down, and you're like, oh, maybe he was an asshole. Yeah. I'm saying this to you, and I have acid inside my head, man. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, the voice of reason, Jimmy Hendrix. <laughs> That's when you know it's bad. Yeah. They got a college. He was just a kind of a nerd, wasn't he? Yeah, he seemed yeah. like it. Yeah. Yeah. I just seen him play like when he was playing with... Um, Chuck Berry was that who he was playing behind when he started? Um, no, I don't think so. I think I know who. I know yeah, he was like backing up someone, yeah, yeah. and like they would always show footage of him, and he's just this goofy guy, like just that ripping at guitar, mm -hmm. smiling, just like having a good time. Uh, my friend actually, um, he he's way into conspiracy theories about rock stars dying, and he was telling he went on for an hour about how Jimi Hendrix was drowned by his manager with wine. What? Yeah. Drowned in that's, wine, like in that, a vat of wine. Like no, like he like shoved it down his throat. Yeah. So like uh, that's the whole thing that uh, there was no alcohol traces in his blood mm. when the cor on the coroner's report, but his lungs were full of wine. So mm. that he just made the jump to so, like go ahead and be the manager. Yeah. He's yeah. actually looked at the coroner's report. Like, yeah. He's, he's studied he's really, it. Really, he's like yeah. he like went and researched it. He's I like, I like, I like everybody's the, nerdy about something. I like yeah. the idea of like Jimi Hendrix clue. The butler did it with the wine <laughs> in the, in the lungs. Well, his yeah. manager was a uh, was a hell's angel, and uh, Jim, apparently Jimi Hendrix was getting ready to fire him, um. and then that that he responded with. That, you, but he, but the manager had to understand that that meant he was not going to work either way, right? Once yes. he kills yeah. Jimi Hendrix. Okay. This is the law. I mean, statistically, it just seems like unlikely that every rock star that has ever died was murdered in some way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think that the actu yeah. actuary tables... I asked him, I was like, what do you think about Elvis? He's all, no, that fat fucker died on a toilet. That's, like, yeah, that's different. That's so different. Constipated. Yeah. <laughs> taking painkillers, yeah. probably. How have you managed to... Uh, how have you managed to sort of just keep 
it to get like people have come and go in the band and it's just changed you know for 18 years and you you know you're still at the center and you you've managed to keep it together how is that how, how do you how do you do that <laughs> how the fuck do you do that well um i've had varying degrees of success at keeping it together and and certainly um i mean a couple of things i think have really helped me is I, I didn't have a lot of financial, as much financial anxiety as maybe I could have because I've always operated and run the band uh, within its means. I've always thought that it was really silly to like take a bunch of money for tour support and owe people a bunch of money and never wanted to do that. So I think that eliminated a lot of stress that would have otherwise done in most bands. I mean, I think. That is what it does in most bands. Yeah, I feel it's like I, I just out myself. I'm I love your band. Oh, thank and, you. And I, I Will was the one who introduced me to your band in oh. 2002 or three, I believe. <laughs> and I first heard Yankee Hotel Foxtrot when you guys just put it online, mm-hmm. and it was one of those. Wow, I've never heard anything like this in my life, <laughs> and I don't want to hear anything not like this for months. Kind of experience for uh-huh. me. Um, so I became, I sort of felt just as a fan, I felt invested in your success. Mm-hmm. I felt like you as a band and you as a musician had sort of like extended a hand to your audience. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's silly to feel, I think it was as, an, as a fan of the band, it's silly to feel this way, but I just thought like, I really wanted you to do well uh-huh. because I felt like you had done a kindness to people who <laughs> loved your music. And I have seen that. I, I live on the internet. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this with every album since then. People mm-hmm. get so excited. When somebody leaks one of your albums, mm-hmm. it's not Wilco Lawyer Incorporated that goes, hey, man, don't be a dick. Right. It's Wilco fans who are like, why did you do that to them? You know? Right. And just, right. you seem to have this relationship with your audience that just a lot of rock bands just don't have especially dating back to a time when people were still ignoring the internet yeah like when companies were still ignoring the internet be like 2002 even even just back then they were like ah fuck it it's never gonna right yeah i mean thank you i mean i i i'm happy with the um amount of goodwill that seems to exist between ourselves and our audience and i i i mean i can only guess as to why that exists, and I've never been in a band that it hasn't existed in. I mean, even like Uncle Tupelo in a small, smaller way, but um, we had our collaborators and our, our patrons, you know, like people coming to see us play, and I feel like we've treated them as, as, as patrons of the arts and collaborators, and not consumers. Yeah. Um, and I think in some ways we've, you know, we maybe could be much richer or something if we've been good at treating, treating people like consumers, <laughs> you know. But if anything, but we kind of mock that. We've actually, you know, I think with the things that we end up doing as merchandise and all kinds of, you know, try and be creative about just how we present our band. It's always come, you know, anything that confuses the market is really exciting to us. You know, like flood and confuse the market has been our motto for a long time. And whose idea? Because I, I think wasn't it? Your, didn't when you, when you guys made Yankee the the, the 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 label? Didn't the label at the time? What was it like? Nonsuch or no? Nonsuch. No. Nonsuch. Not like, 
Oh, okay, but didn't, didn't they listen to the album, they're like, yeah, we're not going to put this out, and you were like, uh, alright, and then yeah. you just took it and put it online. Yeah. Well, there, we, there was nobody, no one to tell us we couldn't do that, or that it was a bad idea anymore, once we got the record back. Um, was the idea just like, well, fuck, someone's got to hear this, so let's well, just put it on no, so they the can hear it? the idea was much more practical than that. The idea was we need to get out on the road, because that's how we make money. We don't make money off of records. Yeah. So our business model, if you want to call it that, is, is really what end, has ended up being everyone's business model now. <laughs> but it was then, uh, as well for us, that, that we only were able to support ourselves on the road. And having a new record done and wanting to play those songs just meant, well, let's let people hear them because then they'll know what's up, yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, they'll be more fun to play those songs for everybody. And, and it seems really clear, like, you guys have always... I love it when... I loved when Sky Blue Sky came out and you just streamed it online mm -hmm. and, uh, the, like days before the record actually hit. So I opened that up in a browser tab and listened to it just endlessly uh -huh. uh, for days. And when it came out, I was going to buy the record anyway. Mm -hmm. But I felt like... It just felt like, um, like, like you as a band saying, Here, fans... Right. Just, and you as a is, fan, and this is what this is, you know. Thanks, but you as a fan also want to say, "Hey, here's money now because I have this experience and I want to give this to you." Well, I mean, we just can't look at it like um, any individual thing is how we're going to be supported by anybody. If they get one record free, they might buy another record. If they get one record free, they might come see the show, or they might buy a T-shirt at the show. I don't know. It's it's like I just figure there are definitely tons of sales that have been lost over the years. Uh, just the way the music business has gone. There's no doubting that. But for us, we've managed to keep our head above water um, by not focusing on the lost sales, but focusing on the people that are there supporting us. Yeah. I remember I was working at a record store when uh, the whole Yankee Hotel Foxtrot thing happened, and I remember like a lot of people were coming in uh, because they just wanted to talk about it because mm -hmm. they had got a copy of it. Mm -hmm. And when it finally came out, mm -hmm. uh, all those same people came in to buy it. Oh. And I remember we always thought that was really cool that mm -hmm. like it's like all those people that were just so into it yeah. came in, and when they and when they asked about it in the beginning, we're like, we got this band called Wilco and they were like yeah well here's some other albums you want if you want to get those for now right. and then when it finally came out all of them came back into the store to no, buy it was a big it was a watershed moment for us and it wasn't like designed as some big publicity stunt obviously yeah. but it, it did work out that way I mean yeah. certainly it was a story the story I believe has made that record uh, as much as of what it is as yeah. the music well then there was also the point. movie the movie yeah, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. movie you know I'm I'm proud of the record. I personally feel like we've made better records and gotten better as a band, but I, that's not for me to say. You know, yeah, like, that's an interesting thing to admit, though, is that you know, like people are gonna attach meaning that maybe you didn't intend, mm -hmm. or so are you pretty? Well, once you surrender, you know, your record or you know, abandon it, you know, it's. I think that's one of the things that hurts people over, over in the long run too. Is is maintaining the illusion that you have any control over it anymore you know like you don't um the world is going to make whatever it wants to make of this stuff that you put out there and i mean that's why we're probably more in tune with playing live shows still because you know that's on a night-to-night -night basis we have a certain amount of input <laughs> you know like <laughs> may, we get to maintain that input how the records are 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 going over out in the world is 
first of all, people look at it like it's going to happen in a week and everybody's going to assume that this record is what it is and all it will ever be is what happened in the first week that the record came out. No records that mean anything to me, hardly, were records that I got the first week that they were out. I got them 30 years later, or, yeah. or 50 years later. Or, or even just listening to a record. Like It's like the records I still listen to and go back to constantly are records when I first heard them, I was like, okay. It's the yeah, ones that like you too. keep listening mm-hmm. to and you start to find out more and learn more about it as you listen to it. But there's it. also sort of this weird, astro- like I don't know what other term to use, but just sort of weird chemistry or astrology thing that happens with an album where you just have to be ready for it in your life mm-hmm. at that time to, be, to have it sink oh, yeah. in. Yeah, oh yeah, I think, well yeah, it's like, um, it's like philosophy or, or poetry or something at some point, it's built upon lots of things and unfortunately it's when it, it gets a little academic sometimes. Some yeah, records yeah. you actually have to have a listening background to kind of get to, you know, some things are more immediate and pop music is certainly more immediate, but like... Other stuff, lots of art, requires you to have an investment in not just that artist, but in trying to understand art, period, you know? How do you sort of refill the thing? I mean, are you constantly writing throughout the year, or do you need to take a break to write, or you ever worry? Like, how, how do you keep finding stuff to say? Where do you go? Um, I don't... Uh, I don't worry about having stuff to say. I've never had anything to say. (laughs) (laughs) You don't think so? Uh, uh, No, I'm not saying I haven't said stuff, but I've never really felt like I had anything to say. But I've I've very much trusted the idea that if I put something together lyrically with some music that makes me feel something when I sing it and makes me see something, um, you know, that an image happens or uh, I, I can't... I can't keep it from having meaning, then I'm on the right path. If I'm sitting there struggling to put meaning into it and trying to make all the dots connect so it tells a story, I've done it a few times and I'm really happy when I pull it off. It's a lot harder, Uh, but it's not necessarily my, my forte, you know, I think it's much more intuitive than that. Just the way that you kind of, the band, I mean, I always feel like, oh yeah, of course that's a Wilco song, but stylistically, you know, the albums kind of weave around, I mean, it's, I don't even know, I mean, it's probably pointless to try to categorize you guys as anything, but do you just sort of see this as like, I'm just sort of exploring all these things that I like playing around in at the time? <laughs> well, the thing I always tell people, and, and uh, I, I mean it sincerely, and even if it sounds sort of pretentious or something, I always like, don't get the goal of having things narrowed down. Like, I don't really want to come up with a a coherent philosophy of the world or music. I want to learn how to like more. Mm -hmm. I want to learn how to understand more. And that's, I think, how Wilco has developed over over time. What what else can we put in here that makes sense? Or how can, um, you know, do we feel this enough to, to own it? You know yeah. this type, this genre, or this 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 style. Um, but uh, in general, I listen to anything. I I don't have any kind of set listening patterns at all. I I really just always like to be listening to something. What do you like? What are you liking right now? Um, 
the <laughs> I was in the studio a little bit before we left. Yeah. So I was being in the studio as a time period where you listen to music like 10 hours a day and you don't listen to a whole lot of music outside of this you know, yeah. studio because you don't want to I mean you just can't you just your, your ears get tired you need to rest yeah. so I was listening to some like kids there's friends of my sons that are kind of getting a lot of really big offers these days to put together a record and I was helping them make a record. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, that's that's great. Yeah. It sounded like <laughs> the like it's a seven piece band with a rapper and like stuff that I mean, it's definitely gonna have the highest concentration of N words on it. <laughs> uh, like any record I've ever been a part of. <laughs> and it's not me. Saying, just, I hope it's not your son either. No, and, and I don't yeah, no, it's not. He's not in the, he's not in the band. They're, yeah. they're friends of his. How old's your son? He's sixteen. So he's at an age where his friends are aware that his dad is in Wilco, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so is my other son, what, he's 12, you know, they both are. And what's that like? Well, I think my kids seem to be pretty together with it. You know, yeah. I think that um, <clears throat> uh, I don't really know, it's their experience, but for the most part, they seem fairly undaunted by it. They, uh, um, they both seem to have a, their own personalities, they feel pretty self-possessed. Um, <laughs> Spencer can shrug off maybe he gets it more than my younger son because mm -hmm. he's in high school and he, he'll you know people think if your dad's in a rock band he's a rock star and that you're rich and you ride to school in a limousine and stuff like that and, and he can shrug that stuff off pretty easy because it's just idiotic you know <laughs> And so ill-informed, you know. Because there's this, there's an age where, um, for me as an actor, I was working in things that my 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 son's peers didn't care about at all. Mm -hmm. And then I did a Disney movie when they were in elementary school. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, walking onto their school to pick them up, I they tr the kids treated me like I was a rock star. Uh -huh. And then I went back to doing things that they didn't care about. And now mm -hmm. that they're adults, and I've worked on some TV shows mm -hmm. where they're where my kids they don't care. They're my kids. Right. And it's like. It does not matter. Right. But sometimes their friends, their friends embarrass them the way that I always try to embarrass them as their father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I just, and I just right. can't, can't do. Right. So um, just like speaking as, I'm really interested to know, just like as a father, mm -hmm. is there a thing where, where your kids have a friend? Because now, you know, being... Mm -hmm. 12, like, I just don't see Wilco as a band that, like, nine-year-olds listen to. But it really, I mean, like, for teenagers, mm. God, if I'd had Wilco when I was a teenager, you would have been my The Smiths. Uh-huh, yeah. Well, I mean, um, there have been a few people that have come over with my sons that act a little weird. Yeah. But <laughs> they get over it pretty quickly because they, you know, realize I'm a just a huge dork and, and <laughs> an embarrassing dad. I think you need to take him to school one day in a white stretch limo <laughs> with Wilco and sequins on the side <laughs> with a hot tub in the back yeah. and two bleach blonde playmates in, in the hot tub. Uh -huh. And then they and then your son Spencer gets out of the hot tub and you're like, all right, I'll see you later on the private yeah, jet. With a, with a mink coat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One time Spencer, I took him to school and he had a really bad cold. 
And so his eyes were watering and his eyes were really red and he was a little bit late so he had to go to the office. <laughs> and he asked me, I, he said, he got really upset. He's like, I'm going to go to the office and they're going to think I was out smoking pot. Oh, no. And I said, do you want me to walk in with you and tell them? And he said, no, because then they'll really think I was smoking pot. <laughs> 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 that's, oh, that's not sweet. okay yeah. <laughs> way to perpetuate stereotype school system yeah. in Chicago yeah. my dad's in a rock band but I'm not like that I'm not like that uh, exactly uh, I wanted to just also just quickly talk before we let you go um, uh, the whole love is great oh, and I, I, I did not it was only just today that I realized that you guys did you see the Popeye video yet mm -mm. they made a video with King Features uh, they made a Wilco Popeye video. Oh, I've heard of this. And it's fucking awesome. Oh, cool. Glad you like oh, it. Oh, my God. Yeah, so it's the, the, the URL is wilcospinach.com. <laughs> and it just it just pops up. And uh, and uh, and Jeff Tweedy totally cockwalks Popeye with olive oil. It's fun. My it's wife a... hates it because of that. <laughs> really? She's like, why do you get olive oil? <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> She thinks that that's ridiculous. Popeye deserves all of them. Well, but then later, you know, you're a rock band, you can break her heart, she'll run back to Popeye. He's always right. going to take her, he's a fucking doormat. Like, yeah, just assuming that there's some sort of long-term relationship developing, I don't think. Popeye, I think Popeye you actually a... did Popeye a favor, because olive oil, like, really is just has been toying with him forever. Popeye is a doormat with an addiction problem. I, can he's I just tell you something? I don't never understood what people see in olive oil. Yeah. <laughs> That's why she loves yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. why she likes you so she's, much. She's not that attractive. No. Um, maybe in the house Maybe in the thirties. It's interesting. Well, in the thirties, you choose between. Even in the thirties, I think she would have been just you know homely. Well, yeah, especially because her main competition is Betty Boop. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Betty true. Boop is like Foxy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I always like I, I like the skinny nerdy girls. I don't know what it is. Like I always had I had you're a pandering thing. to your audience. I'm so not much at all. Right. I, I always oh my had a God, thing for olive oil. I so much. <laughs> I like skinny ner nerdy girls. Olive oil is something beyond. <laughs> She's not lanky. human. Lanky. Really? She's lanky. Yeah. Yeah. She is lanky. But, in, but yeah, it's the first. It's the first uh, Popeye's hand-drawn Popeye comic strip in a long, long time. Uh, it's really great. It's that. It's that I'm classic. I'm not sure exactly like, how long. Three it's that la that classic like um, King feature, like that classic animation so style, cool. black and white, where all the characters are a little Constantly bouncy, shifting. Yeah, they're a little uh, bouncy. It makes them comfortable. Because they drew, yeah. they had to do, you know, they did so <laughs> many drawings to make the characters move, so yeah. they're always a little, they're always a little jumpy. Yeah. Um, uh, but Dawn of Me is a really is a really great song. Oh, thanks. And uh, so what? So what's what's next? Are you are you are you already working on another thing, or are you just kind of riding there? Because that album just came out in September. So right, we're we're just busy touring and and playing as many shows as we can get in uh, before we drop. You know. <laughs> Do you mind if I ask you a couple questions that people submitted? No, not at all. Okay, cool. And then is this going out live? Was no, it, no, 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 no. I didn't no. think so. I was like, these are just recorders. No, no, no. Yeah, these are these. Are you gonna edit them? Yeah, I don't really edit much on the show because it's goes. it just kind of goes uh, what it is. <laughs> this is a uh, cuánto faltara para que Wilco se de una buletita de Argentina? I think he's Very, asking. Let me when are you going? That's an incredible accent. They, oh, your Portuguese is I just want to say muchas gracias. <laughs> um, uh, I guess that means uh, when are you coming to Argentina? Um, 
I have no idea. I would, we would love to tour South America more. We've only been to Brazil, but, uh, but that would, you know, we were, we were booked to go there one time and then uh, there were like eight different presidents in the period of like three months between when it was booked. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, so it was a little yeah. scary. Are you voting in the June election? Uh, and Argentina's fucking far, by the way. Like you, I think you take for granted. You're like, oh, it's just a little bit farther than Texas. Like, no, 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 no. It's like 20 hours. It's, it's the same time zone, but it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the like 18 part. hours away. You yeah. lose a chunk of your life. Um, this is from uh, at Jason Spitz. My question uh, is, where did Jeff's attraction to like like noise, sound effects, static squeals, drones as a sonic element originate from? Um. Well, I really, I really liked records when I was a little kid. I think as from uh, as early as I can remember, and according to my mother, I would just stand and point at the record player until she put a record on. And we actually, my father worked on the railroad for forty six years, and wow. so oddly enough, one of the records he owned was a, a sound effects record of trains, steam engines, because he really liked steam engines, and I liked that record a lot. And then when I went to uh, college, I never really went to class. I would go to the library and uh, listen to records because they had all kinds of records mm -hmm. that I couldn't find anywhere else. And some of them were like that. And there were John Cage records um, with uh, you know just cartridge music, just like records where they're just manipulating the the cartridge on a phonograph and, oh, right. and radio things like that. And uh, it was really. Uh, Liberating to think of a record as being anything, um, as opposed to just pop records and records I heard on the radio or my brothers and sisters' '60s records. Right. So I think it's just from that. I think that was just a, uh, an, I, an innate, I, I think, desire to just listen to stuff, and I, also just discovering that there were things like that to listen to. Yeah. I used to know the answer to this, but I can't remember. Did you come to the phenomenon of number stations through the Conet Project or through Shortwave? <coughs> Through the Conant Project. So yeah. did you ever listen to shortwave when you were growing up? Or My father was, just... was a ham radio operator. And oh, we that's had so cool. Oh, so that, okay, okay, yeah. AM, Wilco, like yeah, all yeah. of the, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Well, I mean, he had, you know, uh, he was an electronics, self-taught electronics expert that he... Ah, uh, uh, super cool. So that's out of high school. That's and, where the names mm, maybe come from. Yeah. Okay. I think so. Yeah, he had a radio, a radio uh, workshop in the basement and... He, uh, <clears throat> one time our neighbors, who we really didn't like, got some walkie-talkies for their birthday or something. They, they were really bullies, you know. And my dad hacked into their frequency <laughs> and told them that he was in an airplane <laughs> and he could see them and that he, they should come back out at midnight because he was going to be flying back over. And he, if they... Uh, um, if they stand out in their backyard with with the flashlights, he'll swoop down and and they can see him. And, 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 That's amazing. And so we just sat out in the backyard and watched them in their back in their backyard with flashlights. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the, that's the, the best troll yeah. dad story yeah. ever. Yeah. Fucking analog hacking. Yeah. That's yeah. genius. Yeah. Um, all right, this is from at Don Mills. Any chance of a third Mermaid Avenue album or another album with Billy Bragg? I don't. I mean, I don't want to talk anything too controversial, but I read but the sense that I got from that experience <laughs> with the guys online was like, oh my god, we're huge Billy Bragg fans. And then after the end of the album, was like, Billy Bragg was not the easiest person to work with in the world. 
Um, and you don't have to say anything against it. I there, just... there is a, a box set of the first two records with a third volume coming out this year because it's Woody's centennial. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I don't think our involvement is going to be very extensive, uh, but it's but it's coming out and it's cool. And there are some things that I guess were left over from the, record, the original records. Yeah. And... Um, some things I'd forgotten about, and then a lot of things that Billy had laying around that I don't know if I ever heard, you know? So. Yeah. They're two of my favorite <coughs> albums ever. Oh, that's nice. I'm so sad for you that it wasn't a better experience. That's uh, It really should have been. It really, it really should have been. And I don't think it's all... Um, I mean, I personally wasn't at a particularly great point in my life, so I, 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 I can accept a lot of blame for not being a, a great communicator at that time, so I don't think that that helped anything. But there were some really sort of questionable business practices and things going on that I, I still don't quite understand, and and it's made things difficult over the years to, to, to feel 100% on board with that project, even though I'm 100% on board with Woody and him on the board. all that shit gets in the way, or especially yeah. like when you have someone that you really respect, and then mm-hmm. you're like, oh my God, this is going to be so much fun, and then... Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. When I was happened? playing, I worked with an actor who I I loved and I just loved him in everything. Mm-hmm. And he was the worst person in the world. Really? Yeah. <laughs> he was just he was a nightmare. And who and was horrible? It? Rucker Howard. Oh he yeah. Was <laughs> terrible. He, he was terrible, and and he was so bad that he actually ruined movies that he was already in for me. And Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies uh-huh. of all time, and I have a very hard time watching Blade Runner. Uh-huh. Because he was such a son of a bitch on the set. Yeah. Did you call him a cheap dine store Klaus? <laughs> <laughs> there was a day. There was a day on the set. There was a day on the set where he wanted to have like a raven on one arm and a cane with a sword in it, and we were like, "You're just taking stuff from Lady Hawk." Yeah, that's what's wrong Hawk. with you. Uh, Lady Hawk. All right, all right, all right. I'm going to give you a plate of fries, and there's going to be a finger in it. Yeah, that's the hitcher. What the fuck, Rucker Howard? But it was the same kind of, it was right. the same, like, you're such a jerk. So if you're ever considering collaborating with Rucker Howard, you know, Probably not don't a good no, I wouldn't, He would have been actually one of the people in the top ten of people I would think, no, this sounds right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I was twenty. Asshole. I was I was twenty. I was naive. Yeah. I liked to believe that like the art mattered and the performance mattered and making a great thing mattered and that just so oh I'm, how the scales did fall from my eyes that yeah. day. I think we have one last question for you. Um, uh, Jason Forrest on Google Plus wanted to know why did Jeff Tweedy do the weather forecast for WGN? We guys are from Chicago. Like that would be amazing to do a weather forecast for WGN. Uh, they asked me to. <laughs> um, we were performing on WGN at an ungodly hour for a rock band to be anywhere performing. Yeah. And then they asked if any of any of us wanted to do the weather. And uh, I said, sure. And I had I thought they were just going to go to me and doing the weather. And I had a whole spiel worked out. I thought it would be really funny to pretend that a virus had swept through the studio. <laughs> <laughs> and that, like, so people just tuning in would be like, kind of freaked out. I, it's okay. It's I was the tweeting. only guy that lived in the neighborhood. <laughs> Everything's okay. Stay calm. People avoid the WGN area. <laughs> you know? but, um, but then they, they got kind of, I told them that. 
and they got a little, they got cold feet, and so then they had him introduce me, and so they totally fucked up my bit. Yeah. And then I came out, and I, I, I didn't, I don't really, I think it went okay. That I is a high pressure system, wind, thanks. <laughs> I do remember saying, I thought it was, um, I thought it was funny to say that a five-day forecast sounded kind of optimistic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Were you a com- I mean, because Chicago is, like, such a huge comedy hub, were you, are you a comedy, big comedy fan? Uh, I, I definitely like comedians and comedy, and I do benefit at Second City every year. Yeah. And I know a fair amount of comedians somehow over the years. But um, uh, I like... Uh, I like making people laugh when I have a chance to because it seems I, I think it's kind of like shooting fish in the barrel or fish in a barrel though for, for a rock guy and especially a rock guy that has some sort of uh, I, I think people have a perception as being sort of serious yeah you know it's much more of a surprise I would never want to get up and try my hand at real comedy <laughs> in front of an audience that you know but but uh, but rock audiences are pretty easy to blindside with something unexpected usually. yeah I think one of the best uh, stand-up sets I ever saw was from Ted Leo during a Ted Leo and the Pharmacist show where he was just like doing bits in between every song and just murdering just killing the crowd <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh, he's so funny well that's just a nice extra thing like as a fan where you go oh my god not only is this music great this guy actually has a personality and he's yeah, funny like he and he humanizes like, you yeah yeah yeah. yeah, and then nights where I just can't muster any kind of, I can't channel my inner David Lee Roth at all. <laughs> no high kicks. No, no, no. We hit the show last night. No, I want to no, know. We were talking. We, I was ruined because on the way from San Diego to L.A., we watched a Sammy Hagar concert live on on Shark TV, <laughs> and it was like made me so feel so bad about myself <laughs> like the amount of energy I was putting out on stage yeah. and like my ability to just like give an audience what they needed well Sam like, can't to, drive 55 I mean you gotta know that from the get go that's one thing you know looking at the dude <laughs> you cannot drive 55 he's like a, <clears throat> no I, he looked like a jet ski salesman <laughs> my <laughs> wife took our son <laughs> my wife took our son to see Van Halen when he was still in high school, so like that was five or six years ago, and uh, uh, she came home and I said, "So how was it?" And she said, "I, I can't believe what those guys can do, and they're like, they're fifty, right, right." And and she said, "Like you would He's never not in good never shape." Know. No, he's no. like a little portly yeah. and like, you know, <laughs> clapping. <laughs> Trying to clap under, the, under those pork legs. Yeah, yeah it was really crazy. One, one show, I just think one show without saying anything, you should come out in like neon tights with a fucking crazy <laughs> Diamond Dave wig. Give it, a, give, give it a go. Just give it a go. Uh, and just, 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 just give it a high kick. Yeah. And don't ever reference it and then just see if you're like, does he know? I, but <laughs> see, that's just the problem. I would do that <laughs> if I could. And there's no way in hell I could. I do not have that skill set. <laughs> just wheel out a big margarita machine. <laughs> oh, that's it. The video, and the, the, the concert we saw, there was a bar with girls in bikinis dancing on stage with cowboy hats and they would deliver shots of tequila to him during his set just seeing you on just seeing you on stage going and don't forget to get your Wilco Rita's at the back of the bar (laughs) yeah yeah. 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 he has a tequila right yeah they have a tequila Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 Well, they were like attractive girls. I hated myself even for that. That I thought, like, <laughs> those girls 
they're stupid, <laughs> but they're kind of cute. <laughs> it's just you're being charmed by their occupation. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, this is uh, this has been amazing. I mean, thank you so much for, oh, for letting us crash your dressing room, and I think we're gonna we're gonna get some stuff from Soundcheck. Um, but uh, yeah, but I think they're they're. I can hear them. They're probably waiting for me. Well, thank you so yeah. much, Jack. Yeah, no you've been super, super awesome, and we really appreciate it. My it's pleasure. a real pleasure. Thank yeah, you so nice much. Nice talking to you guys. Thank you. Thanks. Yes, thanks, very much. Glenn Keechi, you are my idol. Cast a shadow on this world
so rousing red long Listen on to the sun Wonder when it will pop in the snow The melody is a mistake Embrace at the wake How long will it take for us to know? Want a wig that's been blown Something unknown Buried under a mile Of snow Found a fix for the fits Come listen to this It's intimate as a kiss over a phone and it goes This episode of the Nerdist Podcast was brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 15% off your new account for six months, go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code NERDIST. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 65th National Finals of Distinguished Young Women. Every year, one girl from every state leaves her family, her whole life behind, for two weeks and spends each day training, practicing, preparing. Because to win this competition, she needs to wow a panel of judges with her academic record, her athletic ability, her speaking skills, and a show-stopping talent. 
I met her and I was like, she's gonna win. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. When I sing that song about being a black woman in America, there's gonna be backlash about that. Oh, I'm just so happy. So happy. I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. And then we stayed with them for the next year, unpacking just what happened those two weeks in Mobile. I'm Shimoliai, and from Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.